0: Future glory. So as we come to these final seven chapters of the book of Isaiah, we come very clearly to what was not only future to uh, the people in Isaiah's day, but that which is still future to us today. Um, Now, there are many different ways, as is always the case when we're looking at stuff that is future, that we can interpret it. And there are, of course, different interpretations um, regarding these latter chapters in Isaiah. The first um, issue, of course, is in regard to what time the events of this chapter are referring to. I want to suggest to you, and I will preach it on this basis and um, point out the relevant verses as we go, that this is primarily to do with the new heavens and the new earth. And My argument for that would be this. Um, We could see a, a level of fulfillment in when Artaxerxes releases Judah and allows them to return to Jerusalem. There is a a level there where there's a, a, a fulfilment of it that they're now set free they're now back with their lands um, there's a greater level of fulfilment when Christ walks this earth and indeed there's verses here that tie very closely with that and he brings his glory into Jerusalem we could see uh, perhaps even a greater level in our own day as the gospel goes to the nations and we see nations coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ I would suggest you That if there is a future millennium, as a lot of Christians believe, some do, some don't. uh, We won't get into that this morning. But if there is, I want to suggest to you what is here is even greater than that. That what we're seeing here is when the new heavens and the new earth are established. And Christ reigns with his church. And my main reason for suggesting that is when you look in chapters 21, 22 of Revelation. Which is clearly looking at that time. How much of those chapters is taken Uh, From this latter part of Isaiah and particularly chapter 60 uh, verses that are direct quotes from this or very nearly direct quotes from this verses that are clearly based upon this Um, and it's hard to understand this in any other way the second issue of course as we come to this um, is how literally do we take what we read here Uh, And again, Christians would disagree about that. Some would argue that you must always take Scripture absolutely literally unless it's impossible to do so. Of course, it's a somewhat subjective issue as to where you get this line which is impossible to do so, uh, but that would be their argument. Um, My argument, of course, would be that where it is poetry, and of these last seven chapters, there's only about six verses right at the end that aren't, um, where it is poetry, as is most of the book of Isaiah, where you get the jagged edges in your Bible, Um, then you get all of the devices of poetry used. You get simile, you get metaphor, hyperbole, anthropomorphism. uh, They're all there. And we're supposed to interpret what God says in light of that. If he chooses to use poetic language, and chooses to use these devices in it, then we're not supposed to take them literally, we're supposed to take them in the sense that you use them in poetry. And even more so, of course, when as here it's an apocalyptic Um, prophecy, Uh, then you you get very dramatic uh, language of that nature used. So I want us to start here, verses 1 to 9, the ingathering of the nations. Now quite clearly this has got a level of fulfillment in the birth and the coming of Jesus, Uh, especially when you get to verse 6, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Well, that's certainly true of Christ, wasn't it? They brought him gifts of frankincense and gold. It was certainly an occasion of the pronouncement of good news. The angels declared it was good news. Those who saw it, who understand what was happening, saw it as good news. And it was certainly to the praise of God. There's no question of that. So there's a level of fulfillment there. But what God has got in mind here is clearly something far bigger. When Christ walked this earth, The area of his ministry was about the area of Wales. It was a very small area. And relatively a very small number of people came into contact with Jesus. Or heard Jesus. Now this is talking of something far bigger, isn't it? Look at verse 3. And nations shall come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters be carried on the hip. This is a worldwide response. This is something massive. My friends, this is something far bigger than even what we see in our own generation. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 24. Revelation 21, 24. This is speaking of the new heavens and new earth. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now compare that with verse 3 from which it comes. The nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. This this is looking at what will, Christ will establish that will stand for eternity. and And the glory of the nations will be brought into it. My friends... The message of these first nine verses is clear. God's plan, the extent of the gospel, the, the size of the kingdom far outweighs anything we've ever seen in our lifetime. It is enormous. I don't know what the biggest gathering you've ever been amongst of Christians I mean, it's wonderful, isn't it, when you get together with two, three, five thousand other Christians and you're singing the praise of God. That is nothing compared with what we're having described here. When he's talking of nations coming in. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 will be there tonight. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on the earth. No wonder that John, when he gets to uh, Revelation 19. And he sees this this vision of all of the redeemed. And what what do we read? That it sounded as the roar of many waters. This is their praise to God. This number that no one can count. And he says... It sounded as the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pills of thunder crying out. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? Can you imagine what it would be like to be amongst that? When you're suddenly there with all of the redeemed since Adam and Eve walked on this earth till Jesus Christ returns in glory and everyone is there with perfect bodies, perfect voices singing the praise of Christ. My friends, that's an amazing prospect, isn't it? Satan will be defeated. Death will have been defeated. Sin will have been defeated. We will be perfect. And together, the church, not the church as it is now, fragmented, divided, spread out, but the church united will bring worship and praise to our God. My friend, do you have a heart for the ingathering of the nations? Do you have a heart for seeing this working out? Nations here in the gospel being converted, being saved and coming to bow the knee and worship Jesus Christ so that they'll be there on that day. I think um, that film, Yembi, um, uh, Yembe, Yembe uh, the, the uh, excellent missionary film that most of us have seen, I think, uh, in that where they're putting up verses through it, different, uh, sorry, uh, different quotes through it, different people have said. And there's one that I always remember strikes me so powerfully when it says that you know, the church is so divided, we speak so much about the second coming of Christ when half this world has never heard that there was a first one. You know, there are so many peoples who yet don't know anything about Jesus Christ. They've never heard his name. Have you got a heart that they would hear the gospel? That they, they would be brought to that point of understanding what Christ did in order that they could be saved? that they would come into this gathering that no man can number of the redeemed my friend if you have then are you getting informed about the work of the gospel in the nations so many excellent websites to go to that that will show you you which nations still need to hear the gospel how many and, and they're up to date you can look and it changes week by week as translations of the bible are made available in more and more languages missionaries go to more and more places you can give to help the work. You can pray to further the work. And if God calls you, you can go and be part of it. So we've got, first of all, the gathering of the nations. See, secondly, we've got the division of the nations. At this moment, that Isaiah's prophesying, God is against his people. We've been looking at that through the weeks. God has said, you've had it. Over and over again, I've made clear to you, you need to repent this sin. You need to deal with your... Um, false religions, these false gods this idolatrous practice and you haven't done it and so finally now I'm saying to you you will be handed over to your enemy Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, the temple will be destroyed, you'll lose your homes you'll lose your lands, you'll be taken off into exile, it's going to happen the point has passed at which there is any question about it, It, the die is cast it's going to happen but, and here's the amazing message of Isaiah 60. That's not how it's going to end. That's not how it's going to end. My friend, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you know at the moment that God's hand is raised against you because of your sin, it's the only reason God ever does it. If you've got unrepented sin in your heart, God will do whatever he's got to do to deal with it. God is a loving father. A loving father doesn't watch his child foul up and just stand back and say, Well, that's a shame that you've fouled up. You can get on with your mess. A loving father helps the child sort it out. And God says, if that's what human fathers do, how much more do I do it? And if you're fouling up your life at the moment, God will do whatever he needs to do to deal with it. So that you can put it behind you and you can move on and you can be back in a right relationship with him. But what you need to know right now is this. It's not going to end with God being against you. He's not doing it to judge you. He's not doing it to punish you. He's doing it solely to refine you. And that is not the end of the story. Look at verse 13. This is what God is saying to his people that he's about to send out into exile. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary and I will make the place of my feet glorious. He says at the moment you're, you're the the lowest of all the nations you're just about to be taken away captive into exile but but they will come when you're exalted amongst the nations when the nations bring their good to you verse 13 he talks of the the material things that will come to them verse 10 he speaks of foreigners building their walls for them how amazing is that the foreigners are about to destroy their walls They're about to have Jerusalem trashed. They're about to have the temple destroyed and ploughed over. And he's saying, what's going to happen in the fullness of time? is that those that at the moment are your enemies, by the blood of Christ, will be brought to a place where not only are they with you, but they are helping you. Now you could say, well there was a fulfilment of that in Nehemiah. Yes there was when Nehemiah comes back and they rebuild Jerusalem and indeed the walls are rebuilt, but they're not rebuilt by other people. They have to do it themselves. And it's not that other kings come and give them tribute and help them, they're having to fight with swords in one hand and a trowel in the other. No, this is something far bigger. Listen again to Revelation 21, this time verse 25 onwards. And its gates, this is talking of the new heavens and new earth. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honour of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Where did John get that imagery from? I mean the imagery was shown him, he wrote what he saw. But where is the origin of it? It's here. Look at verse eleven. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night; they shall not be shut. The people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. My friend, this is an image of the, the new heavens and new earth, and what an image it is—one of constant, joyful, productive activity. He's saying that it's like that. He's saying it's as if this is poetic language. He's saying it's as if someone says, right, well, once everybody's in who's coming in, close the gates. But there's so many people coming and they're constantly coming that they're never able to actually shut the gates. He's saying, this is awesome. It's just this constant um, increase of people and this constant movement of the redeemed. And those who oppose the gospel they'll be shut out verse 12 for the nation and kingdoms that will not serve you shall perish those nations shall be utterly laid waste and what did it say in Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven? but nothing unclean will enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life this is the division of nations not not according to nationality not, not in some arbitrary sense we've drawn a line and said okay that's people that side of the line are French the people that side are English he's not talking about that he's talking about the division of people according to their faith according to what they believe according to whether or not they worship Christ and he's saying the nations the people out of all the nations that worship Christ will be there enjoying it and the people out of all the nations that reject Christ will be eternally shut out my friend you get that final division it is going to be horrific on that day when Christ returns. Joyful and horrific. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It puts it there so clearly and so perfectly. When he returns to be marveled at amongst those who've believed and to cast into everlasting destruction those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friend, that's the final division. Are you sure where you stand this morning? Are you sure that your hope, your confidence is in what Christ has done? Not in anything else. Remember what we read from Revelation 5 where we started the service. The cry goes out, as it were, the angel stands up and cries out to the whole of the creative world, who is there who is worthy enough to come up here and do the work that God requires of him? And no one can step forward. And John says, I wept. And then the elders say, look, there's a lion. He says, I looked and there was a lamb. Jesus Christ, who steps onto the platform of human history and says, I've come to do it. He goes to the cross and he lays down his life. So that people like you and I, who can't even save ourselves, let alone anybody else, can be saved. Christ goes to that death and Christ bears in his body the punishment for the sins of each and every person who in this lifetime will put their trust and hope in him until he can cry out in triumph. It is finished! And The veil in the temple tears in two, top to bottom, to show that that division between God and man caused by our sin has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. My friend, you get that. Can I plead with you? Everything hinges on this. The whole of eternity hinges on this. What have you done with Jesus? Is he king of your life? Or is he someone that you're indifferent to? It's the only choice. And eternity rests on that and that alone. We'll see finally the perfection of the new heavens and new earth. Verses 17 through to 22. I don't know how many times I've had Christians say to me, uh, when I've been talking about heaven, I say, how much do you think about heaven? I hope you think a lot about the new heavens and new earth. I I mean, it should be your constant thinking theme. You know? Hebrews 11, that's what they were commended for, wasn't it? That they're looking forward to a city whose architect and builder is the Lord. They weren't looking around this world saying, whoa, I've staked my claim here, this is my bit of earth. No, their hearts were set in what's coming after this lifetime. I hope yours is. Um, I hope you've got your hymns planned for your, your Thanksgiving service. We sung two of mine this morning. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm well there. But, you know, I, I mean, do you think about these things? And, and how many times I've heard a Christian say, me, well, the Bible doesn't really tell us much about what it's going to be like. Well, it does. It tells us stacks about it. We just need to believe it and meditate on it. Just look in this one chapter alone. These few verses, 17 through to 22, how much it tells us about, in fact, eight things about this new heaven and new earth. We'll very quickly run through them. Number one, it will be eternal. Verse 21, they shall possess the land forever. You meditate on that for a while. The new heavens and new earth will be eternal. When you've been there a billion zillion years, you'll still have eternity number two it'll be precious verse 17 instead of bronze I'll bring gold instead of iron I'll bring silver instead of wood bronze instead of stones iron now I've got no idea what particular rocks I'm going to dig up in the new heavens and new earth but what the picture is is that it'll be precious precious it's, it's talking about the material wealth of it. Everything there will be good and right. I mean, there are some amazingly beautiful places on Earth right now, aren't there? I mean, I mean do you like nature things? Do you like things where they show you some of the amazing places on planet Earth and oceans under the Earth? I, I mean, I just love that sort of thing, don't you? So they can keep off the evolution bit. But, you know, my friends, this is a fallen world. This is the world that God created perfect and Adam and Eve loused up. You think what it's like the new heavens and new earth where it's just perfect. It's going to be precious. Thirdly, it's going to be glorious. Verse 19, the Lord will be your everlasting light and your Lord will be your glory. Isn't our God an amazing God? Are, Are you in love with God? If you're a Christian, I I hope the answer to that you don't even have to think about. Are you in love with God? He's an amazing God, isn't he? Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he an amazing saviour? An amazing king? You imagine what it's going to be like when you're standing there with Jesus Christ. And your mind thinks perfectly and your heart responds perfectly. Wasn't that Job's great solace in the middle of all he was going through? He loses everything on earth. And what does he turn around and say? I know my Redeemer lives, and though my flesh be destroyed, yet with my eyes I will see him. That's that's the glory of heaven. We will be there with Christ. The eternal, precious, glorious, number four, all sorrow will be passed. What mars your enjoyment of life most now? Isn't it sorrow? Or things that trigger sorrow? Sickness? Illness? Death? Redundancy? Breakdowns of relationships? Verse 20. Your days of mourning shall be ended. There will never be a tear shed in the new heavens and new earth in the whole of eternity. Why? Because there will never be a thought, there will never be a situation, there will never be an action to trigger it. It's not that God will dry up your tear ducts so that you can't cry, it's that nothing will ever happen to make you want to cry. It will be eternal, precious, glorious, all sorrow will be passed. Number five, it will be characterized by righteousness and peace. Verse 17, I will make your overseers peace. Those in charge, I will make peace. Your taskmasters, righteousness. Verse 21, your people shall be righteous. So it will only be the redeemed who are there only those who have got their faith in Christ but that's by grace alone that's got nothing to do with how good we are I mean if my place in heaven depended on how good I am I haven't got a chance no 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 that depends on God's grace alone but my friends when I get there I will be righteous and peace <laughs> will permeate everything don't know how much you enjoy watching the news actually before we go there do you realise most of us will be redundant from our professions when we get there we'll have to look for new professions sorry we're not going to need any ospreys flying around in the air in in new heavens new earth Um, we're not going to need any military we're not going to need any pastors because we won't need anyone to stand up and preach to other people we'll all know perfectly we won't need any locksmiths any policemen any traffic wardens any hospital workers you know we're going to have to have new jobs sure but you like watching the news isn't it tragic when you watch it that probably 98% of it is negative you know it's about someone's been killed or something's happened or a bad decision's been made or it just seems to go from one to the next to the next to the next doesn't it you can get so depressed if you're not careful do you see how different heaven's going to be righteousness is going to be the order of the day there's not going to be any bad news to talk about. You're never going to be able to say, oh, do you know what so-and-so did? It ain't going to happen, because so-and-so didn't do it. You're never going to have reason to think, oh no, how am I going to face that? Because there's never going to be any cause of oh no. It's never going to be only hostility. Peace is going to permeate it all. Number six, it's going to resound with praise. Verse 18, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. It's like when you go into this place, written across the gates is going to be praise. Come in here and praise. And don't get me wrong. I can't think of anything less attractive than the idea that we spend eternity sitting on a little cloud with a harp in our hands, strumming it, that is not how the Bible describes the new heavens and new earth at all but without any doubt we will praise God and we'll praise him in our singing we'll praise him with our heart response, we'll praise him with our minds we will truly, as scripture tells us to do now, glorify God in everything whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all to the glory of God we will do that perfectly in the new heavens and new earth it will just be filled with the praise of redeemed humanity you long for that when we sing these songs that we love now and tears run down our eyes as we worship God from our fallen standing what is it going to be like when we get there and finally we understand perfectly what Christ has done for us we see Jesus standing there in front of us still bearing those marks of crucifixion in his hands and we join with all of those who've been saved from the opening of Genesis to the close of Revelation So many people that we can't see them, let alone count them. And together we turn around and we lift our voices in praise and adoration of God the Father for who he is, Revelation chapter 4, and for what he has done in creation, and in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus Christ, what he has done in saving us, and redeeming us, and bringing us finally into heaven itself. Number seven... It will centre around God. I don't know who you think is going to be the big chief in heaven. Uh, Jesus' disciples had some ideas on it, didn't they? When you sit on your throne, can one of us sit on one side of you and the other one on the other side? And this is Peter and John. You know, when you finally arrive, Jesus, when you finally are there on your throne and all the redeemed humanities around you, can you just make sure that the two places next to you are reserved for us too? so we can sit on thrones next to you not going to be any of that in heaven not the new heavens and new earth there will be one person who gets all the glory and no one else God Father, Son and Holy Spirit and right at the centre will stand Jesus Christ redeemed humanity glorified the perfect God man sorry not redeemed He didn't need redeeming glorified humanity the God man And it will all centre around him. Verse 19, the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Verse 20, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Verse 21, that I might be glorified. It will all revolve around God. Which is exactly how it should be. Because he's God. And finally, number eight, it will happen. Verse 22, I am the Lord In its time, I will hasten it. That is a promise by Yahweh. He says, in its time, when it is right time for it to happen, I will bring it to pass. should give us an amazing confidence this morning, shouldn't it? As we travel through our lives, and we see so much that is going on in our world that displeases us let alone what it does to the heart of God and we see so much confusion and we see so much anger and bitterness and strife and God says but I've got a plan and it doesn't end here I've got a plan and Jesus Christ has already come into this world and died in order to open the seal in order that it will come about and I tell you I've made a promise where we were in Hebrews I've made a promise and I've sworn an oath that this will take place my friends aren't we in a wonderful position to know what eternity holds for us if we're in Christ no one out there has got that you go and talk to anyone who's not a Christian are you sure what's going to happen to you are you certain I'm not certain At best, they've got some sort of vague hopes that will disappoint. And we go out there and we know what is going to happen. Because God cannot change his mind. He is immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And right here in the midst of this black period in the nation of Judah, where God's saying, You're about to go into captivity, which happened exactly foretold and then they get brought out under Cyrus which happened exactly as God foretold even down to his name and God says to them and guess what's going to come later and he gives us this wonderful insight which is not for them alone but for everyone who is in Christ my friend are you in Christ are you sure that you are hoping in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ as your salvation as, as the means by which God will look at you in your sin because we're all sinners and say yes you're a sinner yes you deserve hell but because of Jesus I forgive you and I welcome you as my child and you just say God have my life run it glorify Christ within. I've got a better home I'm looking forward to now. A home with you. We're going to sing as we close.